Do you need a break? You read my mind. Come with me. Hello, everybody, and a happy feast of St. Nicholas, because I'm recording this on the eve of his feast on December the 5th. This is kind of the Dutch equivalent of Santa Claus in North America and other countries in the world. We have another saint that is helping us to uh, unpack presents and eat lots of good stuff. Hey, welcome to another episode of The Break. I am Father Roderick. I'm a priest and I'm a geek, and I love to share with you my passion for stories, for movies, TV shows, books, and and so much more. I got a lot to talk about, and as I mentioned in the introduction, I'm recording this on the eve of one of the most important feasts for children in the Netherlands, and that is the celebration or the commemoration of St. Nicholas, who actually was a real saint and is still venerated in the Catholic liturgical calendar, but his feast day has become uh, a tradition in the Netherlands where the kids can get presents, and it's very similar to the Santa Claus tradition. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the Dutch people that migrated to the United States actually brought a lot of the elements of the St. Nicholas celebration to uh, this new country, and that kind of blended together with existing Santa Claus traditions. And so Santa Claus, even the name sounds similar, Santa Claus, Sinterklaas, we call him here in the Netherlands, St. Nicholas, um, is uh, a feast for children where they... If they are, if they haven't been naughty, if they have been nice, they will get presents. And we celebrate this in a very Catholic way on the eve of the actual feast. So the feast is on December the 6th and on December the 5th in the evening, because in the Catholic liturgy, um, a feast day starts um, around 5 o'clock the previous day. That's when we pray the Vespers, which is kind of the evening prayers. And that marks the beginning of any celebration. So Christmas starts on Christmas Eve. That's why it's called Christmas Eve. We start Christmas a little bit before the actual day itself. Because... Catholics like to party. Speaking of parties, we have so much to celebrate. And first of all, I want to talk about one of my favorite passions, and that is, of course, Star Wars. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Now, I was talking about St. Nicholas and Santa Claus, and we all remember what from when we were small, or maybe we're still kind of young, uh, this anticipation, you know, it's not yet there, but for weeks you're looking forward to the celebration, to the unpacking on Christmas morning or in our case here in the Netherlands on on St. Nicholas Eve uh, of, of the presents. And you may have been thinking for weeks about, oh, I would love to have this model train or this Lego set or this doll or whatever you uh, you put on, a, on your wish list. And actually the anticipation itself is part of the celebration. It's so much more fun to have something to look forward to than to actually receive it. Of course, that is fun to unpack a present, but how often have we unpacked something new and shiny and then a day later, it already feels so familiar that we are looking forward to the next thing. Anticipation is... is it's so contradictory because at the same... We would like to have something... But it's not yet there, yet the fact that we are awaiting it is something that makes us excited and gives us energy to move towards the day that we will finally get what we have prayed for or wished for. Well, this is also true when it comes to movies. And we've talked about this on the show uh, a few times before, and that is with this overabundance of stuff to watch, we 
kind of lose the excitement. This is particularly true, I think, right now for Disney. They're struggling because they've put out so much content in the movie theaters and also on Disney+, Plus that they oversaturated the market. And a new Marvel movie, like the Marvels, it flopped, not because it's a bad movie. On the contrary, I hear from everyone who's seen it, it's a fun movie. It's really, really great fun. But... It's just another Marvel movie. We, we, we get like, I don't know, three or four Marvel productions every single year. For Star Wars, the same thing. You remember when the, when the sequels came out? Every two year, years, we had another you know, uh, installment of the, uh, of, of the Skywalker saga. And it was just so much. And it was kind of, it all felt the same. Because in, in between the, the big installments of the, of the final trilogy, we had Rogue One and we had the Solo movie. And it was every, every year there was a big Star Wars event. But then the events themselves lost a bit of their luster. And the same has been happening on Disney+. Plus. I love everything that they've been doing with the Star Wars franchise on Disney+. Plus. But it's so much. I cannot keep up. There is just, like I've been falling behind on almost all the animation shows. Um, even with, uh, with Ahsoka, I really had to force myself to sit down every week to watch the episode, even though I... I loved it. I so loved it. But it was there was so much else to watch. And this is why the news that broke this past week, even though it seems to be bad news, is, I think, actually good news. What do I mean? Well, remember last week I talked about uh, 2024 being this massive year for Star Wars fans because we were promised five big Star Wars productions, three of which were live action and two were animation. But I already indicated that it wouldn't surprise me if one of those live action series would be pushed forward to 2025 because of the writer strike and the actor strike and also because... Well, Disney is slowly learning its lesson that too much of a good thing can be too much. And so they um, published a, a, a news uh, report or what is it, a, a press release. Um, I think it was Disney UK. They put out a press release for uh, in the UK about things to look forward to in 2024. And they mentioned only two live action series. One is... The Skeleton Crew, which has already wrapped filming a long time ago, has been in post-production for almost a year now. And that is a live-action series about this group of kids that is lost somewhere in space, and then they need to find their home planet. Uh, classic science fiction trope, but it's the first time that we see such a story. It's a bit like Voyager in Star Trek, you know? It's like, how do we get back home from the Delta Quadrant? Well, this is going to be a Star Wars equivalent. Plus, it's going to be, because it features also a group of kids, think the Goonies, this could very well also appeal to a younger audience and bridge the gap between the animation series and live action. So that, that is one series that I think, because it also takes place in the Mandoverse, so it's going to be part of the timeline of the Mandalorian, even though, because they're lost in space, it can be totally separate from everything else that we've seen happening in that era of Star Wars. But ultimately, these stories may actually intersect and come together in that big Dave Filoni movie that has been promised for, to us in the future. So that's, that's one series. And then the other series is also one that has wrapped filming and that it has been in post-production for quite a long time now. And that is The Acolyte, which is the first television series that will take place in the High Republic, which is an era in the, in the chronology of Star Wars that we've never seen before. Um, and I've, I've mentioned before that I had some trouble getting into the books and the comics that were produced um, and that all 
feature stories about Jedi in the prime of their of their order. You know, it's like the golden age for Jedi, and it's a relatively peaceful uh, time, but there is just one big enemy, the Nihil, or Nihil, Nihil, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, uh, which in Latin means just nothing, the the, the nothingers, the nothingness, um, which is a big threat. So, of course, you need a problem. You need need an issue, you need an enemy. So that's the Nihil, and then the Jedi have to somehow protect the universe against that evil group of aliens. So the reason that I had so much trouble getting into those stories was that it doesn't feature one family or or one group of people that we follow. No, it's like all these different disjointed uh, stories. The comics tell totally different stories from the books, and even the books are sometimes featuring similar characters, but but every book has is its own story. And uh, and it, it just felt very disjointed. I I really missed some guiding characters that would kind of represent me in that universe and show me the the world, let me discover that that whole era of Star Wars chronology from their perspective. However, something has has been very beneficial uh, lately, and that is uh, me rereading some of the comics that are taking place during the High Republic times. And uh, so I've got a subscription to um, Marvel Unlimited, which... Um, I, I renewed just recently, um, and that allows me to read all the Star Wars comics that came out. And they have a pretty big collection now, I think two or three years worth of, of, of comics that are based on the High Republic era. And um, so I'm, I've restarted, I tried to read them and I couldn't get into them at first. Now I'm finally in like issue number four and it starts to click. And, and I, I start to really be engaged in the story. Um, so I'm excited that the Acolyte is going to take place in that era because I want to get to know that world. I want to get into those stories. It was just so difficult because only books is not enough for me. I, I'm a visual guy. I need to see things. It needs to feel like Star Wars. And so hopefully that will be also kind of a, a gateway to all the existing stories. And that will open up more Star Wars. The more the merrier, of course. So the one thing... The one announcement that was missing in this press release was Andor. It's not mentioned at all. They do, I think, mention the Bad Batch. And then, of course, there's also the Tales of the Jedi, although that is just a series of shorts that is barely that barely counts as a, as a separate uh, uh, season. Um, but it means that Andor probably, which I already presumed last week, has been pushed forward to 2025. Is that a problem? No. Why? Because I think this is good for Star Wars. We need something to look forward to. And Andor has been such a kind of a slow burner and it's gathered an audience over over time. And I think that a lot of Star Wars fans still haven't seen Andor. They may have seen Obi-Wan and and, and Mandalorian, maybe, maybe the Book of Boba Fett, but not Andor. And I think this will allow Andor to gather an even bigger audience so that when it finally launches, maybe in the first half of 2025, that will be a massive hit. And I think it deserves it because it's it's quality Star Wars. And then the, the other thing that they could do in 2025 um, could be another season of The Mandalorian. Why not? So I'm thinking this is this is good also because this, this whole um, anticipation and looking forward to something that is not yet there 
is, I think, very essential to Star Wars. Star Wars in itself, as a story, is a story about hope. And in that respect, I've, I've mentioned this before in my videos, Star Wars is, to a certain extent, a Christmas or an Advent story. Because it's all about the promise of this Savior, the Chosen One, that will one day bring balance to the galaxy. This is the George Lucas equivalent of the messianic uh, hope for a savior. And it's hope that emerges in desperate times because it's this hope is born in the middle of a war, a war several wars. It's Star Wars. In the middle of these wars, a new hope begins. This is, this is what Star Wars is all about. This is, I think, why it appeals to me is because we, we need stories of hope, because we live in similar times in our world. <clears throat> the world is now full of wars, full of misery, full of dire prospects. And we need these stories to tell us that that is not all there is. There, you, we, you, we are allowed to hope. We are allowed to have this anticipation of better times ahead of us. Because if we, if we lose hope, if we forget to dream about about peace, about a bright, brighter future, then we become cynical and life becomes miserable. And, well, if I look at the weather outside over here in this part of the world, it's cold and it's dark and it's gloomy. Um, you know, the darker it gets, the more I, I hold on to these stories of light and hope. And for me, Star Wars embodies that. This is, I think, why in the past, Star Wars, the new Star Wars movies would be uh, in theaters around December. And I so wish that in the future that they will go back to that tradition because I know that maybe they will make more, more money if they launch it in the summertime because that's when North America goes to the movies. But in this part of the world, we love stories in the winter because then it's cold outside and we want to, you know, cuddle together and, 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 and just dream about, about warmth and light and, you know, the world at peace. So, thankfully, we do not only have Star Wars as a story to, help, to give us hope in these times. This is why I'm a Catholic, you know. It's because we celebrate Christmas in, in, on the darkest day. You know, we're on the verge of, like, the darkest times, and then we, we go towards the light. On Christmas Day, we make that shift from darkness to light. This is why Catholic liturgy is, is more than just symbols and, and old traditions and words. Now, it's very visceral. It's very much existential what we celebrate. We, we long for the, the birth of new light. So this is why I think that the, even though we will have to wait longer for, for Andor, the anticipation itself will help grow the Star Wars community. Maybe also bring balance to the Star Wars community that has been so spoiled or has been behaving so spoiled, like, oh, I don't like this, I don't like that. So much negativity, so much criticism. And maybe it's just because we had too much of a good thing. Anyway, those are my thoughts. The most beloved fantasy story of all time. It is the tale of a small hobbit and the great wizard who appeared to him one day. All right, dude, check it out. Go like that way and then up this one mountain and then kill all the hippies you come across. No, no, I'm searching for a dragon's treasure. I'm the wizard, you're the dwarf, and you will respect my authority. I am no dwarf. You know that one of my biggest dreams, if I could ever live in an alternate world, would be to live in the Shire, would be to live as a hobbit and to, to live the hobbit life. There's something about the simplicity. Of course, it's totally romanticized because I know that these hobbits also had corals and, you know, not everything in, in Middle-earth is, uh, is, is uh, rose-colored. 
but there is something something romantic something that the the images that we know of the shire we all know them from the beginning of the story and then of course they the moment they step outside of the 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 boundaries of of uh of the shire that's when the misery starts and it gets darker and darker and more grim but but the shire feels like a safe place and so one of my dreams was to 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 live in a hobbit hole and i've actually done, done some research that you know if I ever have to leave this place, where would I where would I go? My favorite destination would be to just migrate to New Zealand and to build myself a hobbit hole, or maybe I don't know, start working as a volunteer in in Matamata where they have the Hobbiton movie set. The only thing is, when you go to Matamata to visit the movie set, and I highly recommend if you ever are in New Zealand, don't miss the opportunity to go there because it's it's one of the most Cool. It's the coolest place on Earth. Earth. Uh, that and and the Star Wars section of, of Disneyland or Disney World, which is also totally immersive. But uh, the only thing that I was that I missed was you can walk around and you see the Shire as you see it in the movies. It's even more beautiful now because it's much more curated than it was when they built the set. Um, plus, you can stay there for a couple of hours, whereas in the movies, it's just a it's just a couple of minutes that we are in the Shire. The one thing that I missed is to be able to feel like you're actually living in a hobbit hole. The, the one thing that comes close is at the end of the tour, when they bring you to the, I think it's the Green Dragon Inn, right? I always get confused. There are two inns. One is in Bree and the other one is in Hobbiton. I think it's the Green Dragon. But anyway, you can go into the, um, uh, the Green Dragon Inn and that the inside is very similar to a hobbit hole, but it's it's a little bit too big. They do have a, a hearth, and you have the, the chairs and the, the, the domed ceilings and everything, but it's still made at human scale. You never get the impression that you are, as a human, visiting this small hobbit hole. Well, all that is now about to change, because I think a few days from now, they are opening a real hobbit hole. In fact, you will be able to visit the interior of Bagshot Row, now, what is that? What kind of what? What's the address? That, of course, is where Sam and uh, what's her name? Uh, gosh, now it escapes me. Anyway, uh, Sam and his family live, and I. This has always been part of the Hobbiton movie set. You could see the yellow door, and they they built that place, and they used it in the movies, but we never were able to go inside. Well, what they did was they dug out. They probably demolished like the entire hill, and then they built the interior. So that now you can actually walk through the front door of Sam's house and you can walk through through the corridors. There is a very cool movie. Unfortunately, it's not on YouTube, but it is posted on Instagram. Rosie Cotton. Thank you, Inge. Um, Rosie. There is a very cool uh, movie uh, or, or video where the actress who plays Rosie Cotton visit, gives you a small tour of the the hobbit hole of of sam and, and rosie's house and i just want to play uh the audio of this and for those of you that are watching this on youtube um i want to show you the video that was posted on instagram you can also i first discovered it on tiktok i didn't even know that the hobbiton movie set was on tiktok but now i'm a follower obviously so let's take a look and it starts with an introduction by none other than peter jackson himself who always is still hands-on when it comes to you know how this movie set is is uh is managed 
So let's take I'm thrilled that people can go inside a hobbit hole now. It's a terrific culmination of a huge amount of work. It was a, something that Russell and I have been talking about for years as a concept, and for it to finally happen is almost unbelievable, but it's not unbelievable really because it's due to just hard work. A massive amount of crew care and love went into these hobbit holes, and so I think you'll find that you feel that as you go through. It was very important for us that you get to go through a hobbit hole and it feels lived in, it feels like the hobbit Whoever lives in there has just gone down the road to, to go to do some shopping or go to the, to the marketplace and um, that will be back very soon and so you really are looking at a lived in place. I love the round, round corridors, there's something nice about round doors and round corridors, you know square lines with corners are sort of abrupt. We made sure that these hobbit holes have as, as the same level of detail that we um, would expect to see in, in um, any hobbit hole at all. That's what we wanted it to be, a satisfying journey from one end of the hobbit hole to, to the other, in the front door and out the back door. And to really give people the feeling that, you know, wow, wouldn't this be a cool place to live? It's um, built by people who care, and, and for that I thank everybody, I think the whole team very, very much. I'm so pleased to have it finally open and for the public in the future to enjoy. Oh, that music alone. I love it. I totally, totally love it. So that's a small video. This is just the first in a series of videos that they published. Um, so I, I don't know why they didn't post the Rosie Cotton one here on Instagram. But if you want to look up the account yourself, maybe they're spreading this out over the coming uh, days. Um, go look at on Instagram uh, for Hobbiton Tours. So Hobbiton Tours. That's where you will be able to um, to find this video and hopefully in the in the near future also the other ones. And other, otherwise, just Google it and you'll probably also find it. But oh my gosh, I am so excited. Um, let's move on to another story, a totally different story, um, but also a universe that I, that I love to dwell in. And just recently I've been addicted to it. I've been catching up on, on a three, I think three seasons that I haven't watched yet. And then of course there's a new series of specials. I'm talking about our favorite Time Lord, Doctor Who. And, uh, I just saw the second special with David Tennant back as the Doctor, and uh, and Donna, of course, is there too. And this was a this was an episode that was kept under wraps. No, nobody knew what it was going to be about. There was a lot of hot, so speculation went totally rampant on the internet. Even the even the writer, I think. Uh, there's an official podcast, I, by the way, that I want to uh, make sure you are aware of. And on that podcast, they interviewed the, I think it was the writer or the showrunner. And he said, yeah, maybe we went a little bit overboard with all the secrecy because the expectation, again, the whole theme of anticipation, the anticipation was so massive that people had all these theories what would be in this particular episode. And ultimately, it was actually one of the simplest stories. I won't spoil what it is about other than telling you it is taking place this is also in the trailer that i'm about to play it's a very short trailer doesn't give much away but it takes place in a spaceship very very far away hello where are we oh life signs Who are they, Doctor Who? Well, it's one of the shortest trailers that they have published <laughs> so far. And um, so I had no idea what to expect. I immediately loved the fact that it was in space. 
and, and the whole story felt like classic science fiction, including a ton of techno babble, which actually David Tennant's doctor was was famous for. Uh, he's he just starts hitting buttons, and um, there there's an amazing behind the scenes series that they're currently producing or uh, publishing on the official channels of Doctor Who, which you can also find on TikTok and on YouTube, um, where you see David Tennant, the actor, being shown around on the new set of the TARDIS. They even show you how they made this. This is the biggest TARDIS set that they've ever built. And they show him the instrument panel, you know, in the middle of the of the ship. Because, of course, the TARDIS is just a, a, a phone booth on the exterior. On the inside, it's a, it's a ship, a time travel ship. Um, you have this console, and then you have this, this huge energy chamber in the center. And one of the the tropes of of doctor who ever since the first few episodes was that um the, the, the doctor knows how to push all these buttons to travel through time um but of course the buttons are totally ridiculous there are no real computers there's one tiny little tv screen that they use as a monitor but the rest is all levers and things it's very physical and um, and and David Tennant, I think, like no other doctor, was able to to make you believe that he knew what he was doing, and and just to see the sheer joy of the actor to push all those buttons and to to discover that there was actually a coffee machine in, as part of the console on the new Doctor Who TARDIS. It was so funny, and so in this episode, they really uh, emphasize kind of the, the, the technical side of, of David Tennant's Doctor, and, and it's just techno-babble after techno-babble. But it's so over the top that it becomes funny. So the other thing that I would like to say, and I'm not going to spoil much, much else, is that this entire episode only features two actors. And, and, and well, it's the Doctor and Donna. And that's it. And it's only in the very last minute that that we will see some other actors, one of which is um, kind of a kind of mixed feelings about that because the actor is actually has has deceased is dis- deceased, how do you say that? Died um, not not so long ago. Um, and he's been part of, of of Doctor Who for a long time. So that was emotional and I was very glad that they you know, kind of honored his contribution to Doctor Who by showing him, um, but um, but most of the of the episode feels very small. It's almost like a stage play inside a spaceship, but it's done so well. And there was one thing. So I'm I'm thinking of maybe doing a couple of short videos with my thoughts, or maybe <clears throat> this is one of the things that I that I've done for a while is to record um, some some standalone podcast for my patrons. Uh, with story secrets. So it's kind of like the audio equivalent of what I do on TikTok. It's like, have you seen this? Well, this is what it means. Um, I have, I, I, Doctor Who always like incites questions. Like, okay, so what, what is the metaphor here? What do they, what's the story that they, that the, the writers want to tell? Now, of course, there are plenty of other podcasts that do that very well. Of course, you know, The Secrets of Doctor Who on, on SQPN that I started way back when in, in, in years ago and it's still going very strong it's actually stronger than ever so definitely check that out um but sometimes i just have these like i won't be able to talk for one hour about doctor who but i every episode i have to have some thoughts that i would like to share so maybe i'll i'll, I'll, I'll put out um an audio file for for the patrons uh with just look for story secrets in your feed uh and um so one of the things that i that, that kind of triggered me 
intellectually, was this concept that this spaceship is actually not just anywhere in the universe. No, it is actually, as the trailer says, and I'll just play the audio here. This is the edge of creation. This is part of the whole like mystery aspect of the episode. So Doctor Who travels to the edge of creation. He even mentioned it when he looks outside the window. There's nothing to see. There are no stars. There's no, well, the stars are there, but the light hasn't reached this far. And so Donna and Doctor Who are literally on the edge of creation, which immediately evokes in me a theological question. Like, is there an edge to creation? That is only true if you see creation as all that we can perceive. Like our, it's our universe, it's the galaxies, it's the void. But is there an end to creation? This is, the, of course, the big question that, that has puzzled astronomers for, for decades. It's like, is there an end to space? And how would you define that? Because if, if there is an end, it means there is something beyond. If there is something beyond, then that is also part of creation. So it's this theological conundrum that is insolvable, at least from our perspective. But if you look from a what we call in philosophy and theology the metaphysical aspect of it, then the edge of creation is nonsensical because creation is what is and what is beyond creation, what is not created, is the being itself of who we are, what everything that is, is metaphysical. So the, 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 the existence, the being of everything that exists is beyond the realm of our physical world. So when God is defined in the Christian tradition as um, I am who is, uh, and this has been explored in, in medieval theology and notably by, by um, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, but this was a concept that already existed and has been developed further. Um, it's, it's the whole idea that you should never um, confuse, and this is where a lot of the theological confusion comes from with people when they think about God, is they, they portray God in their minds as another being. They think of an old dude with a beard. And let's be honest, in our iconography, that's how we portray him. It's like this white dude with a beard. And and something also in our mind tells us, that can't be it. If, if God is just a white old man with a beard, then that sounds more like a fairy tale character, which in certain to a certain extent it is because in those all those depictions, we are materializing something that is not in the realm of creation. It's, it's, it's what is beyond, literally, it's beyond our physical world. In Greek, you would say it's metaphysical, beyond physical. That is what we identify God to be. So he is not something, like an old guy. No, he is who is. Uh, but it gets very complicated. But anyway, that, this, is, this is a discussion that I found very intriguing. Like, okay, so if, if God is metaphysical, what does that mean? Can you really say that, the, okay, there's an edge to our creation, and if you go beyond that, you're stepping outside of the physical realm, then what is, what is beyond what is? Hey, lots of philosophical, like, um, how do you say that? Like, insolvable puzzles, and I like it. I, this, is for me, is, is what science fiction is all about, is asking the question that normally in our stories we, we don't ask because we tend to tell stories in a familiar setting. This episode of Doctor Who takes us way beyond any 
type of story that we are familiar with. Now, we also got a very cool, uh, very brief preview of, the, of next week's episode. And I also would like to touch upon that. Now we're going to wrap up. Doctor, we meet again. The Time Lord and the Toymaker. One final game. It's time. One final game. This episode is called The Giggle which is a cool name and immediately makes me think of the Joker. But we get to see a classic Doctor Who villain that I really had to Google, like the Toymaker. It sounds familiar, but I, I'm i not sure I've ever seen the Toymaker in any of the Doctor Who uh, series that I know of. Well, it turns out that the Toymaker was a classic enemy in the very first episodes of Doctor Who, three of which have completely disappeared. You know that part of the Doctor Who archive has been wiped out because they were trying to save on the tape or whatever. So they, that, that's been lost forever, and there's only one episode left that features the toy maker. So we do have some images, black and white images, of this, this classic villain. And then, of course, the toy maker has been featured also in lots of stories and comics and maybe audio uh, drama, dramatizations. But we've never seen... <coughs> this doctor back on the screen. I love it that they are resurrecting this old nemesis of the doctor. And when I read the description, the toy maker is someone who loves to play games with his subjects. He's very much like he pretends to be above everything. He's the one who literally is the puppeteer. Um, and he loves to subject anyone else to his games, but he doesn't like to lose. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking... Oh, this is where Star Trek got the idea of Q from. This sounds so much like Q. Q is also, in Star Trek, a master manipulator. But he doesn't like it when people actually turn against him. And he's, he's the one who actually has to uh, bite the dust. Um, so I'm eager to see uh, how much these two characters will be similar, how they are going to differentiate them. But um, I feel like it's a really cool addition. And we also, in this trailer, we see a very brief glimpse of the new Doctor, the new actor who will be the next incarnation of the Doctor. So maybe they're already bringing in the next Doctor while you're still watching the David Tennant Doctor. That would be a, a, a novel idea as well. So the toy maker will be played by... Um, uh, what's his name? Um, Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, and I only know him from How I Met Your Mother, which was a like a multi-year sitcom. And I watched a few first few episodes. Um, so he he was quite famous for for that role. And he's now playing this this uh, new. Um, so they're really hiring. Uh, big actors, at least very well-known international actors for these new roles, probably also part of the uh, things that they can now do uh, since they also have Disney Plus money, money to spend. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to wrap things up. And um, that is, unless you are one of my monthly supporters, my one of my patrons, because for them I record a, a longer version of this show with more stories that I want to share and it's very easy to get access um, and I would highly encourage you if, if it's possible to join my Patreon community you know it's, it's it's not that much it's 250 per month but all these small donations really help me to continue uh, this uh, this ministry and this mission I love doing this but I have to pay my own bills and uh, I depend on you 
to be able to continue the next year. We are at the beginning of our winter campaign, and it seems like an impossible challenge. We have to somehow raise twice as much uh, donations as we've had this year so far, and that's just for operational costs to keep to keep the engines running. Um, so I, this is this is this is a call from my heart. I really hope that my community will will be there for me and so I can be there for you next year so take a look at patreon.com slash fatherodrick and I'll do my best to uh, make it worth your your while and to uh, give you uh, more and more content next year to enjoy thanks in advance and we'll talk soon